0: Hey guys, this is Taylor Bradley,
1: and this is Alex Yalkovich,
0: and welcome to Booked and Stressed. Yeah, every day. Just... All right, guys, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us this week, Alex. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I say that every time. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing good, but um, no, things are are really, really great, and I've been just filled with a lot of gratitude. Honestly, um, yesterday, uh, my family, my close family and I went out to watch the sunset last night and it was really nice. And uh, I've just, I know this year has been really crazy and unpredictable, but I've really found that every time you kind of take a moment to go through your gratitude and find the things you're grateful for, like it really calms you down. So uh, that's been really, really nice kind of reconnecting with that. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Yeah, it's... um... I feel like I'm a little bit lost uh, like this. <laughs> this is weird window of time in the year between New Year's or between Christmas and New Year's where you're like, what? Like <laughs> they're in a normal world. Like you're still on like this weird extended vacation and there's like no deadlines or anything, which also let's zoom out. That's been the entire year. So like <laughs> I feel extra lost within that <laughs> lost window, but right. I'm trying to embrace it. Um, like you said, the things that are helping me kind of like keep things in perspective are the little things like um, we went uh, for Christmas, we went to San Diego and we took our dog to the dog beach for the first time. And let me tell you, if you want to know what like actual true happiness looks like <laughs> let's talk to the dog the beach and like, yeah, little things like that, that I'm just like, Hey, there's still a lot of greatness in this world. The little things that make you happy rather than the stress and the uncertainty of not knowing the big, the big picture and the big plan. So
1: totally. Right, we okay. have a lot. We have a lot.
0: Absolutely. But let's dive in. Let's talk about our call to action this week. Uh, This week, we want to highlight and bring attention to the Actors Fund. Founded in 1882, the Actors Fund is a national human services organization here to meet the needs of our entertainment community with a unique understanding of the challenges involved in a life in the arts. Services include emergency financial assistance, affordable housing, health care and insurance counseling, senior care, secondary career development, and so much more.
1: The Actors Fund offers a broad spectrum of programs, a calendar of workshops, and online resources to support the unique, essential needs of all who work in the entertainment and the performing arts. Whether on stage or on camera, behind the scenes or below the line, they assist everyone working in the theater, film, television, radio, music, dance, opera, and circus. These programs help people across the country to solve problems and make positive changes in their lives.
0: So the thing that caught my eye about the Actors Fund specifically is their inclusivity to the entire entertainment industry. Later in our interview today, we're going to dive into just how many moving parts go into making a show and even beyond that, the industry as a whole. So like I love that um, the Actors Fund traditionally, I would think of it as like, you know, stage acting or Broadway or West End, things like that. But they go on to list everything from like opera to circus, which really hits home, I think, with our mission of this podcast is like, hey, I may not have any knowledge as to what goes into being an opera performer, opera singer, but like mad respect to you. And so I really love that um, they include not only performers, but also the people that make it happen behind the scenes as well. So,
1: Absolutely. And I think we forget how uh, a large number, it's not uh, like you said it's not just performers like a large amount of people who count on being the technicians and wardrobe like that is a whole moving uh machine which again we do talk about in our interview too so it's really amazing that they kind of see you know 360 everything
0: absolutely so to donate you can visit their website at www.actorsfund.org and we will have that link listed in the description below so moving forward moving forward into a new year. I can't believe, but I also can very much believe that we're here and at this point. Um, I know we're all so ready for new beginnings and a fresh start. Alex, are you a big resolution person or do you have anything in mind for 2021?
1: I'm pretty annoying because I kind of count, consider my uh, birthday my new year. That's kind of when I really am really intentional with my goals. And New Year's you know, is obviously fun because it's a new year for everyone. But I guess not resolutions, but I like to use the word intentions. Like, why can't I just, why can't I just go with, um, what everybody else does? Like, um, it's really just called intentions. I'm an artist. Um, I'm an artist. (laughs) Uh, this year I really read a lot of books and actually for anyone out there who doesn't like to read, oh, I always say to start with, uh, someone you really love and then diving into their autobiography and then you'll be hooked. Like Jenna Fisher's, um book is really great uh Jonathan Van Ness but anyway this is not a book podcast
0: no but it's actually I'm like sitting here like taking notes I'm like okay yes I'm such a bad reader like
1: reading fiction is really hard for me like the story has to be really amazing and I feel bad like demanding authors of that so I feel like an autobiography about someone you respect like Tina Faze is fabulous like those Mm. really like get you to exercise your brain so I want to continue um the reading thing throughout this next year and i think uh a meditation was a big thing that i kind of is now a part of my routine so oh, i don't know we'll see it's really bad i haven't really thought about any like intention uh hardcore um specific intentions for this year but i think i want to be less anxious in the mornings and i think a lot of that is me not looking at my phone right away when i wake up so Ooh, I like we're going to start small we're going to start small we're just going to say you know an hour away from the phone before which is so hard to say, because I need to check emails. But yeah, I think that's (laughs) a good intention for the year. What about you?
0: Intentions. I love the word intentions. I know we're making fun of it. But seriously, it's even before the intention comes the thoughts. And it's crazy how much thoughts could also be mindset, right? Your thoughts influence your intentions, which then influence your goals and your resolutions. And I feel like sometimes we forget the back work that goes into the resolution, right? We have all learned in school to set like SMART goals and that's great, but it's like, why are you setting that SMART goal? And I think this year has been really telling for everyone kind of revealing the truths of our whys, which is giving us a little bit more direction moving forward and redefining those whys or um, reinstating and reinforcing ones that are already there. So I love that. I absolutely love the word and the idea of intention. I, kind of applying it to myself, this, we- this year has been so weird because it's been downtime for us in this crazy, like rapid fast industry. You know, you're saying you have more time to read. Uh, one thing that really made me happier this year was getting to take more class, like even whether it be on Zoom or in person. Um, here in Las Vegas, some studios had opened back up and we were taking classes with masks. And it's something that I never... Never prioritize making time for it. I don't want to say I didn't have time for it, but it's one of those things that when you're working full time and you're in shows and doing 10 shows a week and uh, you know, gigs and, and schedules, it's hard to balance it all. And it's hard to, or I should say, it's easy to be like, well, I'm already dancing so much in my life that I don't need to go take class. But mm-hmm. that is absolutely fundamental to your growth as an artist. And I was really reminded of that uh, back in like May, June, July, when we, had studios open here. And like, I feel like not only was it a personal discovery, but like seeing all my friends in class that I never would see because we all kind of gotten that same, like, you know, locomotion pattern of just like, well, I have shows tonight, so I'm not going to go take class today, or I'm not going to go take a class on my one day off. So um, yeah, the intention kind of redefining or rediscovering my intention of love for what we do in this industry, because it's so easy to get caught up in the negative loop of, oh my gosh, entertainment's not back yet. Oh my gosh, this, that, the other stress, obviously real life adult things. But at the end of the day, I want to start this year with a fresh mindset of, Hey, this is what I love to do. And this has been so integral in my life and getting me to where I am now that I want to give it the respect that it deserves um, and give it the time to go back and play and make mistakes and learn and try new styles. And so my resolution, my intention moving into this next year is just to give more respect to the intention of the art that I love.
1: That's amazing. I love that so much for you. And honestly, class, especially you're an amazing choreographer. And I find when I take class, I have way less choreographer's block because when you're taking class and you're kind of in the moment of how phrases are being taught and made up it inspires me like every class i've taken this year which is uh, same for me too i took way more i took exponentially more class this year and a lot of it was just for fun and a lot of it was like to make connections with new people because i am you know in a new city and i always found like when i took class afterwards i was like oh my god i just want to choreograph even more because like you just get into that rhythm that they created for you. And it's so inspiring. But I will say something I've noticed, um, like obviously for in-person classes, mine have been like very few um, because of Los Angeles, but the ones I've taken like outdoor um, have been super fun. But online, virtual classes, if you're trying to like stand out, like if you're not that you do de- every class, you know, should be what you want it to be. It does not need to be a chance to stand out, but sometimes you want to stand out. Totally. <laughs> Let's just be real. And, it's so much harder on virtual stuff it's like you really gotta like wear the cool outfit or like the pop of color that like if they're looking at a grid on zoom like they can really <laughs> notice you that <laughs> or so just pull been... taylor
0: and like kick your coffee table because that's happened way too many times I'm like, and I think it's
1: out. A... <laughs> yes yeah oh my gosh yeah the amount of times i've done that like the floor isn't the right traction to be <laughs> dancing in heels mm-hmm. but I think it's important to like talk about class, like finding that pressure. Like sometimes I take class for therapy and sometimes I take class because I like want this person to know who I am and I'm just being honest about that. And so that's been a fun learning curve of like really zoning in exactly on the camera and like really dancing for that, but also not overdoing it where, you know, you're not having fun with it anymore. But that's been a fun learning curve too. And I think um, that's been a good skill for us to kind of pick up because a lot of uh, auditions will be Uh, virtual these days and like self-tapes as well, like getting better at that. So that is like that hard truth. But Well, and I
0: like what you said too about it's kind of full circle here, looping back in our word intention, like taking it out of a grand like year life motivation sense and applying it to your daily class sense. Like what's my intention for this class? You know, I know in group fitness, uh, True Fusion, the studio I teach at, we always start with like, hey, what's our intention today? Is it to just kind of go through the movements and sweat and listen to music and have fun. That's okay. Or is it like, I'm going to hit a new PR. I'm going to get my heart rate up. I'm going to work through something. And the same thing applies for class too. And it's true what you said. Sometimes there's classes that you go and you're like, I just want to improv in a dark room. But other times you're like, this is my business. I need to network. I mean, how many examples have we heard from Steph, from um, people that we've interviewed already that are like, you have to go take class and network with the people that you want to be with. And so I feel like sometimes there's like a blurred line between like, my art and my love of this craft and also like I'm doing this for money. And the, the reality is it's somewhere in between you were doing it cause we love it, but we also need to book the job.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And being mindful. Okay. That's another good intention. And I, it's something <laughs> I've implemented, but it can definitely exercise more is just being mindful with everything. It's like with food, like, I think uh going back to our new year 's resolution thing, people set kind of unrealistic demands of themselves where it 's like there are certain things in life that can be cold turkey where you just stop and those are usually life and death situations, but a lot of times like we don 't need to like set these crazy out of reach goals like don 't be like i 'm never eating this ever again it 's like maybe I can just be mindful of it and be aware of how many times a week I'm doing this and I'm not being specific, but I feel like no, it's so really true. good to just be mindful of the changes you want to make rather than trying to do ten things at once. It's like, okay, let's make our bed every day. Let's yeah. make that a thing. That's easy. And
0: who is it? I, like, what uh the middle path. I'm like thinking back to like eighth grade religious world yes. stuff. Like Taoism, maybe or Buddhism. Um I'm not sure, but it talks about that, avoiding the extremes and avoiding, because it's like, yes, if you cold turkey from too many things or make too many life changes, you're just going to pendulum right back. And so it's like, can you just kind of stay in that middle 30 to 40% area of just like, this is okay. And I'm making changes. And it's kind of that ebb and flow mindfulness that you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Being aware is so, such an amazing tool to have. And it really like, that's, those are the, being aware keeps me from ricocheting. Like, I'm like, okay, this happened it happened. And so like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like I I gave up, like I didn't fulfill my goals. So I think, yeah, mindfulness in the classes that you take in your art form, in your business, in everything. I think that's, I think that could be key. So I wish that for myself and for you and for everyone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if we haven't had a chance to say it yet, happy holidays and a very happy new year to all of our (laughs) listeners out there. Again, thank you guys for being such an integral part of of this project. Um, speaking of, we have some very big and exciting news coming for you in the new year. Uh, we are going to have to take a little bit of a hiatus. Um, so Until further notice, we will not be releasing new episodes on Wednesdays, but I promise there's big surprises in store. So thank you again for getting us to this point, and stay tuned for the goodness that's to come in 2021. But even before then, we have an incredible guest today. Um, If you've ever had any interest in working on ships, working at... Uh, theme parks working for Disney, this is the episode that you need to be listening to. So go ahead, star it, favorite it, screenshot it, send it to your friends um, and listen in because there's a lot of great information here from my dear friend, Jonathan Vetsich. All right, guys, next up, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, If you've been on a cruise for Royal Caribbean in the past eight or so years, chances are you have seen this friend of mine performing and entertaining you on the high seas, more recently in Las Vegas. He has performed at Planet Hollywood in both Vegas, the show Zombie Burlesque, as well as at the Flamingo, dancing behind the iconic brother-sister duo, Donnie and Marie. Stressors, please give me a warm, warm welcome to my dear friend, Jonathan Vetsich. Yeah, welcome. Yay. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. How are you doing? I'm well. Good, good. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy time, but I'm so happy to see, to see your face. They can't see your face, but I can see your yes. face and to <laughs> your voice. And, um, and yeah, um, so let's go ahead and get started. So, Jono, can you tell us a little bit about um, where you're from and how you got into dancing?
2: You got it. Uh, So I'm Australian. I am from a beautiful beach town in Australia called the Gold Coast. That's where I sort of got my kickstart to dancing, which is what led me into performing. Um, I have a really fun story about how I started uh, dancing. We have this TV show in Australia called Play School. And every show they have a section that's called Through the Windows. And they um, go through the windows and see, like, the inner workings of a recycling plant. Or how um, plastic is made and on this specific day they went through the windows to a river dance rehearsal um, and I'm watching cool. this rehearsal happen and um, uh, after this whole segments over I walked straight into the kitchen and to my mom and said I want to do dancing and that's kind of where it all started and um, ended up my mom ended up putting me in like a jazz class and at first I felt a bit ripped off because it didn't look like what I'd seen but I really enjoyed it. And um, I never really went down the Riverdance path after that. I seemed, I guess I was pretty happy with jazz. And that all happened at like six years old. And I never really looked back.
1: I love that. I guess I'll settle for jazz.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Riverdance is so
1: incredible. It's like beyond me.
0: <laughs> I just imagine six-year-old John. <laughs> Being in jazz class and like, which we've all been there, right? And like our like jazz Capizio Gore boots that are like a little bit too big, but like brand new. And you're just like, I got duped. This is not river dance.
2: Yeah, I was a little bit like, I was just doing hips from side to side, wondering where the part where I was going to like make noise was coming in. and never really happened. But I guess I was, I wasn't, I was down enough with what was going on that I never really complained about it.
1: That's seriously amazing. Like, I've never heard a better story on all stuff. Just like, prop, props to your mom um, for making it work. Because I feel like parents, they really do feel this pressure where they're like, I need my child to do something. And he says he like saw Riverdance. So like anything to like get him to be doing that. So honestly, it's always like, we got to thank the parents for like allowing us and putting us into those positions. To learn. Oh, yes.
2: Yeah, I, I was pretty lucky with some good supportive parents.
1: That's amazing. Well, um, where did your training take you after, you know, that initial start and how long were you staying in Australia before kind of your next big gig, whether that was the cruise ship or something else?
2: Yeah. So, um, I danced recreationally, um, all through my childhood and it was probably about 13 that I remember starting to want to get serious about it, telling my teachers and my parents, Hey, I think this is something or, you know, like a 13 year old would, I want to grow up and be a dancer. Um so I started taking more and more classes and then at that point, I want to say around 12 or 13, I started doing ballet, jazz, sort of broadening everything and, and taking on a lot more different um disciplines. When I finished high school, I went to a conservatory program in Sydney at a place called Brent Street Studios. Um very like well known in the Australian community, um incredible industry teachers there, um, and a really great program. Um it's a it's a musical theater program, but it's definitely geared towards people who are dancer first, who who have that as their as their skill set, um, and want to complement that with the singing and the acting as well. Um, and from there is when I, that's where um, just after I graduated is when I booked my first overseas gig, and that was actually with Disney Cruise Line. I was all of nineteen and went out and worked for them for a couple of years. That sort of led me to go to Disney Tokyo where I was I lived in Tokyo for three years all up um, and danced in a fun show out there actually was part of the inaugural cast of a show out there called One Man's Dream 2 and then that led me towards Royal Caribbean where I have been for the last 14 years and then there was obviously a, a time when I was here in Las Vegas as well
0: that's amazing. I had no idea you did Tokyo Disney. That's so cool. I'm, fun facts I learned about my friends.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. Like early 20s running around Japan like a Disney prince. <laughs> I love that. And you're such a Disney prince in your,
0: your demeanor and your character. So, <laughs> sense. But, um, so I've had the pleasure to see you perform um, on two ships, I believe, uh, for Real Caribbean, The Navigator uh-huh. and The Allure. Um, and... For our listeners, Jono has been performing at sea for,
2: what, how many years would you say? Eight, nine, (laughs) ten? So I've worked for, (laughs) no, I've worked for Royal Caribbean for 14 years, but my first time at sea was was actually in 2003. So if you want to get technical about it, I've been working at sea for 17 years. Wow,
0: that's incredible. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so let's dive into that because I feel like... um, you You've absolutely climbed the ranks, and um, you know your resume proves that as far as being dance captain and aerial captain and um, most recently, when I saw you in your last two shows, like it's just the it shows that experience on stage and like I, the respect between you and your castmates is so apparent and so um, let's like how did how did we decide? on cruise ships and and what did we love, what did we hate? Let's unpack that a little bit. Sure,
2: um, I always, I don't, I don't know specifically why or how, but I just remember growing up in my teenage years knowing that that Royal Caribbean was a great place to perform. And as an Australian, um, and at the time with no, no visas, no green card like I have now, um, performing land-based in America wasn't necessarily an option to me. So that was always known as a good way to, to work overseas and to be in a professional environment and um, to have some opportunity. And so I just always had that in my mind as Royal Caribbean being a good place to work. Um, when I was working for Disney Cruise Line, um, I became very close friends with a, a guy named Chris who had been working for Royal Caribbean and he was sort of my, my contact and my in. And I remember when I was um, finishing up a contract in Tokyo and thinking that I wanted to start looking at different options, try something new. I got in touch with him and uh, got my performance reel off to Royal Caribbean and they contacted me and offered me a contract. Um, I was super excited about it and I did that first contract, really enjoyed it and had an amazing time all in Europe and uh, ended up going back to Tokyo for a little bit after that just because... I sort of felt a little bit of pull to back to Japan and did one last contract in Japan. And I realized um, as much as I loved Disney, I had sort of outgrown that performance material. I was, I wanted to be on stage as myself and dancing adult and contemporary material, as opposed to performing um, as a character, which, which I loved. I had just, I had come to a point where I felt like I'd outgrown it. Um, And so that's when I really dove, back into Royal Caribbean, it was 2008. And um, I've worked, I worked consistently for them for, for a good few years following that and really enjoyed it. Um, I always sort of wanted and felt like I had that leadership potential where I wanted to be um, a dance captain, a company manager in that sort of role. When I was young, I was very, very eager and, and sort of hungry for that. Um, what i 'm what i 'm glad about is that I had really good role models and um, <clears throat> excuse me some really great people and leaders in front of me who helped me sort of learn to to channel that eagerness and that hunger and um, get it to a calmer and sort of more um, more helpful place and so um, throughout the, all of those experience and I eventually got my shot at being a dance captain for a cast and you kind of learn a lot on the job. And, you know, I'm really thankful to that first cast who had me um, because they they, they didn't get the fully, you know, grown version that I am today, but you know, you do your best with what you've got and you learn so much on the job in that situation. Um, And so I was lucky enough to do that then. And um, a few times after that, and then probably in the last, I'd say six or seven years, it became, it became more consistent where I was, where I started to become the front runner for that position. Um, if you're not aware for for a cruise ship contracts at Royal Caribbean, they, um, they they make the cast and then from within the cast, a dance captain is selected and no no one person is sort of guaranteed the role ongoing. You could be a dance captain on one contract and on the very next one, not, um, or you could be a company manager and then not, um, for me, in the last, say, six to seven years, I've consistently been in that role um, with a bit more experience, I guess. Um, I've, I've become a lot more consistent and sort of, um, as I said earlier, I've been working for the company for a very long time, so I have that seniority now.
1: That's amazing. And you brought up a good point earlier about feeling the pull to, like, go back to Tokyo. And I feel like that's really important as dancers. I feel like we sometimes... Uh, especially with a cruise ship job, because it's amazing money, like you don't have those expenses, and you can learn a lot. But then it's, you have to find that mindset of like, how am I feeling right now? And what do I want to be doing? Also, what other opportunities are here for me? And as long as you're not burning bridges, and you're being uh, like you obviously are an amazing employee. Like you'll, you can always go back to those things. So you feel that pull to Tokyo, you make sure you go do that. And then you feel that pull to go back to Royal. And then you saw all the opportunities that it had for you and you've been with them for so many years. So it's like, you're squeezing the juice out of everything rather than just like, Oh, I just want to be a dancer. And I think actually that's fine too. A lot of people just want to be the dancer and that's amazing as well. But I love that you've looked at the opportunity to be like, okay, well I can be in these leadership positions and that's always going to lead and grow into something that you can carry on when you're like 60. It's just always like building those, uh, setting that groundwork, uh, in every opportunity. I think it's so important. It's like that with any dance job that you get, whether it's short-term or long-term, it's always about, okay, what connections can I make here that I can come back to? Because nothing, Everything is temporary, but you can always come back. So I love that you've, you know, really committed to them and, you know, bloomed that into something yeah. amazing.
2: I'd say the one thing I've learned about myself in the past couple of years and, and not to discredit anything that I do on the stage. Um, I, I feel very passionate about my time on the stage and the performances I give. Um, but I think what's, what I bring to a cast that is special is, is my leadership skills. And my energy and my and my personality, and so um, I I feel you know without um, being too self serving that that what I can what I offer in a cast is is the leadership and keeping the the product moving forward and keeping the team together um, because without that co cohesiveness, cohesiveness amongst the cast. Um, the show 's never going to have the quality that you want on stage if it 's not functioning behind the scenes, and that 's where I think i 've learned is my is my real special skill
1: that is the biggest truth though like the backstage stuff yeah. has to be on point in order for the on stage stuff to be on point that 's so true. Um, I want to ask how difficult is it transferring a show uh, from rehearsals in the studio to then on stage on the ship, um, given like being on water and um, yeah. <laughs> kind of how the stage moves and the levels, like what's the difficulty in that?
0: Yeah, um, I also, I'm unfamiliar kind of with like, the process of taking a show, um, cause you've done um, quite a few creations and installs. And so, yeah, can you kind of talk us through that? Like for the, the process from
2: creation to opening night? Yeah, sure. So um, the process at Royal Caribbean, um, we spend, excuse me, we spend a couple of weeks um, per show in a, in just a flat studio. Obviously we tape it out like you would any sort of um, performance space. Um, And that's just sort of choreography. We work with like dummy props and, and sort of boxes instead of stairs and, and, you know, just whatever, whatever pieces you can get together to sort of simulate the stage as best as possible. Um, But then they have a pretty great process uh, once we get on board where we, um, sort of block everything out. And we introduce the technical elements. Um, I'd say some of the big challenges that I've faced uh, come with the the larger shows, sort of like the Oasis class ships. That's like the Allure, the Oasis of the Seas. Those, those shows um, are built with a lot of aerial work in them as well. And the Royal Caribbean Studio is amazing. We can learn a lot of the, the aerial work there at the studio, but certain things just cannot happen unless they're in the space. Um, so that, that is sometimes one of the biggest challenges is there's there's full 30, you know, sorry, 20, 15-minute chunks of the show that you don't even start learning until you get on board, and in those cases, those install periods are longer and they allow for that learning process, um, but that's definitely a huge challenge. Um, with the sort of more standard production shows that are across the fleet, it's about a week process getting everything up and running um you have to deal with the fact that it's a it the theater isn't dedicated just to you installing a show it's a it's a live running venue so you've got to be out by a certain time because that evening's act needs to rehearse with the band before they can perform because the the ship is still in operation so um time is often one of the biggest challenges but i think that goes for any any theater any rehearsal you know you can't shut everything down to get a show up and running you've got to keep keep it going and do the show set up on the side um the aerial stuff is a big challenge um but again they give us a lot of time to learn that and that's something i've always really really enjoyed and was super excited to have those opportunities because of royal caribbean
0: totally yeah and that's that's such a beautiful like opportunity for growth as an artist um being able to come in as a dancer and um being able to learn aerial i have so many friends that have learned a handful of like apparatuses in um in the shows what's the one where it's like it's i think it's a you look like pinocchio it's like the hands and the feet are um our tight
2: end, shoot, I'm doing a terrible job. Explaining. Yes, no, I know on? exactly what you mean. I, I don't, so I have, I myself have not done that, that specific act. It's, uh, it's on a ship called The Quantum in a show called Star Water, but it's exactly what you're describing. It's like a, it's like a cuff that goes around your wrists and your ankles. And then each, your right wrist is attached to your right ankle. Um, and it's sort of on a pulley system above you it's it's it is really hard to describe without seeing it you have to imagine like a single cord comes down then there's a pulley system and from the pulley system the same cord that's connected to your right arm is linked up through the pulley down to your left foot and same on the other side of your body so every move every time you pull your right arm up well your your right foot has to come with it and same on the left so it's a really tricky balancing act but the, the guys I've seen do it can do incredible things. They can basically like flip on themselves and like move from like a right split through center to the left split. It is, it's a very impressive and from what I understand, really challenging apparatus to work on. I I've,
1: you'll have to send me a video. I've I, I never seen that before that sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> Literally, I feel like it's like you know when you like walk like awkward walk, same arm, same leg like that, but also <laughs> you're in the air and like in front of an entire audience like okay well i if anybody listening knows the name of that apparatus, let us know but um, so being um as senior as you are in the company, um I know obviously challenge comes from a leadership position where you're working with different levels of experience and different age levels. So can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Like, um, I know, let's see, when I saw you um, on the Navigator, you know, or on the Allure, either way, there were 18 year olds that it was their first gig and there, uh, you know, were people that were in their later 30s who they've been doing this for years. And so how do you kind of bridge that gap and work with um, kind of the eager beavers, like fresh out of the gate and then kind of the more (laughs) little bit older, been here, done that, you know, how do you deal with that?
2: Yeah. So I think um, I'd say like the, my most recent contract on the Allure would be a perfect example of that. So we're doing the show Mamma Mia, which has a cast of adults who are playing the, the, the parents, the moms and the dads. So in my specific cast, they were all in their, mid to late 30s, some with Broadway credits, so we're talking like incredibly seasoned performers. Uh, West End credits too, actually, um, worked with an incredibly experienced and talented um, group, and then uh, the ensemble is supposed to be all of the, the friends of the young characters Sophie and Skye, so they're all, the idea is that they're all in their young 20s, so some of the, some of the folks in the ensemble were fresh out of college um, and it's their first contract. So they're all uh, 21, eager, um, like jumping at the bit to get out there and experience it. Um, And I think, yeah, it definitely is a challenge managing um, those two different experience levels, how to to make sure that um, those with seasoned experience feel like the machine is running smoothly. Um, so that they feel that they're getting respect, and then how to how to sort of teach those uh, those people who are who are first timers the ropes, but also you know giving them credit for the talent that they're bringing in, not just making them feel like they're they're less than because they don't have the experience because they they booked the job as well. Um, and I'd say the the real keyword word to that whole situation and balance is respect it's it's if there's no problem with somebody knowing something and somebody not knowing something as long as everything is approached in a respectful and professional way um, something that that i would do as a as the as the company manager in that situation is i i always really strive to to allow to lay good groundwork at the beginning um, set expectations and talk about what's what's required and what's needed of everybody um, on a pro- on a professional standpoint, and as well as like an interpersonal standpoint, um, we all know that when you're performing with a group of people, they become your family. It's a very intimate situ- working situation that's so different to like say an office job. Um, you know things about your fellow classmates that more than more than anything than than they might tell their close friends. Um, and then add the fact that we're on a ship together. So we're also living together as well. We don't go home at the end of the night to to our own house. We're, we're sharing cabins with some of these people. We're having dinner and, and socializing with them as well. So um, I think getting that professional standard is very important, but also that interpersonal connection and respect as well. Um, and I think it's about, fostering learning because you do have to you do have to acknowledge that there are people who aren't going to know things um but if you can if you can guide them in a positive way and not sort of berate anybody for not knowing anything but use it as a as a learning experience like okay so this is your first time doing a quick change that's all right but here's how you do it and and here's what works for me and you will surely develop your own system in a couple years time but from somebody who knows what they're doing, try this. And then there, there have been times, and then going on the other hand, um, to those who have that incredible experience behind them, who, um, who maybe have worked in some of the most incredibly elaborate theaters and, and the, the conditions that are able to be offered in a Broadway theater on land, are are not what say we, we deal with so many different challenges at sea and we just simply cannot offer the same the same standard like the dressing room space for example is smaller the backstage is is less comfortable because we just don't have the space. Um, so sometimes there you have to sort of remind some of those people who who have different experiences that hey we, we are all in this together and and your experience matters and you are a valuable person in this cast who has so much opportunity to lead our younger people, but see your experience as a, as a responsibility to the rest of the group. Don't see it as, a, as something that puts you above anybody else.
1: That was incredible advice. And I think something we also have to talk about too is no matter where you're coming from, like you said, the people with West End credits and Broadway credits and the people who are fresh out of college, um, for anyone, every show and every experience or job like a cruise line has its own language. And like you said, its own system. And so even if you are super experienced, you still have to curate your actions to um, effectively communicate in that language of that show. And it's like that with any new job, there's a certain language for everything. So even if you're so experienced, it's still like you have to adapt to that and learn those new things. And so I think as a leader, you really learn rather than be like, why don't you know this? It's like, oh, has anyone told you this? So this is a better way to do it. And like, uh, I think a lot of times when you're the leader and you're having to relay a lot of information, it's impossible to relay all of that information on day one. You end up, you end up relaying <laughs> yes. it like 10 seconds before the show starts. And, and like, of course there's a way more efficient way of doing that. Um, but things stack up and there's so much to learn. So it's kind of like, okay, there's a lot that we have to unpack here, but we're going to, uh, do it slowly and respectfully. And yes, mm-hmm. keyword that you used respect <laughs> capital R it's just like the bread and butter of any job. So I'm so happy you brought that up and you went into like such great detail about that because it's so important.
2: Beautifully yeah. said. I think something, sorry, just to add one last thing. Um, for anyone who's experienced who who may not necessarily be in like the leadership position i always like to encourage them to to share because it takes a village like there's no there's no way that one person can can educate an entire team of people like you know impart some some leadership capability onto your more experienced people and say hey i trust you to 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 share information with these people as long as you do it respectfully as well and and please just be a good role model and that that provides some some responsibility to to everybody in the group not just one person and i think that's a that's a great environment to to work and thrive in because if you if you feel obviously everyone feels responsible for themselves but if you have responsibility to your other cast members as well you're you're, I've, I think that you proceed with a much more engaged attitude. Absolutely. Yeah. That
0: was so well said, John. Like, <laughs> I'm so grateful for just being able to hear that because it's, yeah, everything that you and Alex both said like reigns true in every field of work and every job. And that's what I think is so beautiful. And that kind of gives me like a little bit of peace of mind in knowing that like the crazy ups and downs of the entertainment industry, but like at the end of the day, we are still people and people need respect and the job and the art and the craft need respect. And so yeah. all of it. Okay. okay. So we just painted this beautiful mosaic of like the joys and the beauties and everything's very- <laughs> about cruise ships. Like, let's get real. Like, I all right. uh,
2: Yeah. I, I think the
0: stories of like, you know, people having to work s- terrible side jobs or, you know, um, like what's, Yeah, what is not so beautifully Disney novel (laughs) written? What am I trying to say? Yeah,
2: the less desirable things. So I'll start this out by saying, I think in every single job, there are always things that we we dislike, right? Um, I think sometimes cruise ships, I, I say that with like quotation marks around it, get a bad rap because everyone thinks that they're gonna be standing on a gangway the entire day handing out leaflets or doing all of these awful side job or extra duty type things. Um, And some, in some cases, those are required of you, but I always, it's, it's just a personal balance, whether you're willing to be comfortable with that or not. Um, So there's like things that I don't love about the cruise ship environment, things that are challenging to me. It's, it's the personal side that you don't get to sort of leave your workplace. It can be great if you have a group of people that you really love and everything works wonderful. But if you are in a group of people that you sometimes just need a little bit of a break from, it's like a family, like you don't get to pick your cast. You're, you're all thrown together. And it's like Thanksgiving all year round. And you know, that sometimes the Thanksgiving is awesome and wonderful. And sometimes that one person is acting out and it like spreads through the group like wildfire and just causes like an uneasy couple of weeks. Um, and so that, that's a challenge that you face in our environment, um, not being able to go away and decompress from each other. I think then there's like the, I call them like the ship things, like boat drills and the safety drills and the trainings. While they're not interesting, um, well, I, I take that back. I, I find them interesting from a safety standpoint, but while um, I would much rather be doing a dance class than standing around practicing a safety drill, However, it's, it's it's just part of the package. It's an essential part of, of being at sea, is having all of those safety protocols and knowing what a fire extinguisher can do, whether that's the good fire extinguisher, whether that's the right fire extinguisher for, a, a, I don't know, an electrical fire or, or a fire in a deep fat fryer. It's all, um, you have to know these things and it's crazy, but it matters. Um, Sorry, I'm like, there's me. different types of fire extinguishers. i today years old when I learned that. <laughs> there are a lot of them. We, we shouldn't even really be talking about this in, a, in an entertainment podcast though. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so like, you have to go through a lot of stuff on the side and then there's, there's things to do with scheduling that can get frustrating. Like you really wanna go out and, and do whatever activity in that port, but the theater is only available at that time. And you have to do a reblock of the show um, because, see, there's no additional cast members, there's no on calls, there's no understudies. Well, there are understudies, but they're all within your company. So if someone's sick, if someone's out, you have to rework the whole show. Um, so you might have to do that during a port time where you wanted to go out to the beach, and those those sort of things can be frustrating. And I call them like the shipboard things. Um, then you have like side duties, which Let's say um, at Royal Caribbean, we're lucky that all of them are designed with entertainment in mind. So we'll uh, we'll teach dance classes to the guests, or we'll um, be part of the the street parades as entertainment. Um, Something that they don't do on all of the ships, but they have like a a mystery theater, um, a mystery dinner theater, sort of like a whodunit type murder thing. Um, And so you have to act in that play throughout the evening. Um, Oh, and then we. We, um, on the ships that have other venues, let's say like some of the bigger ships that have ice rinks, aqua theaters, uh, the 270 venue, will run spotlights or dress the performers in those venues and they actually do the same thing for us. So everything that we do duty-wise at Royal Caribbean is entertainment related. Um, You mentioned the word side job. So you can sort of take on um, side jobs as well. And those are usually extra paid where someone will work in like the retail shops for an extra sort of couple of dollars per hour, or they'll work with the art auction team, the shore excursions. There's, there's a whole bunch of different ones. Um, and that's always a good way to earn some extra cash while you're out there anyway.
1: Those duties are really important, like you said, um, about it taking a village. I just feel like it's always good for everybody to know the different aspects that it that it takes to you know, keep a show going, the entertainment part of it, it's like I always, I would love to have done like a wardrobe track back um, working for Cirque. I think it would have been really good. Obviously, like, it's a different thing. It's not a, it's not a moving ship. So it's a totally different you know animal but i think it's really good to understand all sides of it and you know it's easy for me to be like i really wish i could have done that because i never did and i could have done it Mm -hmm. and like it not have been you know the most pleasant experience but i always think you just have a better level of our favorite word respect for Mm -hmm. all the moving parts for everything
2: well (laughs) it's like a sorry it's like a it's like a clock and all the cogs have to be turning in the right direction in the right way and and Complementing each other for it to work, and you know, on on a cruise ship, the the car, being in the cast is a very exciting thing. But you're a you are a piece in a machine. You're part of an overall entertainment division, working with the the crew staff and the sports staff, the youth staff, and the people above you in management. And then that team has to then function with the rest of the hotel division on the ship, which then has to also function with the marine side of the ship to get the whole giant piece moving forward. Well, Jono, thank you so much again
0: for your time today, for all of your like sage wisdom knowledge. Um, Honestly, I learned so much um, regarding the cruise line industry and about you as a friend. So thank you for your time. Um, For our listeners, uh, where can they find you to keep up with you?
2: Sure. The best place to find me is on Instagram. It's just at Jonathan Vetsich. It's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-V-E-T-S-I-C-H. Awesome. And before we go, I just have to give you,
0: give you some props, a little shout out because Jono was a integral part of my proposal to my fiance, which happened aboard the navigator of the Royal Caribbean fleet, um, golden hour. All of us were up on the top deck taking photos somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic and I dropped down to one knee. So Jono, thank you for being there, for being a part of that, for being our, uh, videographer, photographer, (laughs) Um, Thank you for always the two times I've had the opportunity to cruise with you and see you perform. It's been nothing short of amazing. So thank you for that. Thank you for being a great
2: friend, a great person and a role
0: model within this dance industry. Thank you. Those
2: are some very, very kind words. And um, I love that you guys wanted to have me on your podcast and I'm really thankful for that too
1: thank you so so much for bringing all the knowledge we really appreciate it
2: stressors stay cool we will catch you next week
0: Jono I wish you well and hope to actually see you in person soon so until then thank you so much bye guys thanks take care